Hello, hello. <clears throat> Welcome to Hometown Daily. Uh, season 3, episode 13 for January 13th, 2024. <clears throat> Tonight we're going to be talking about debuting at Epcot. Quaker Oats, a recall. ESPN returns Emmys. SEO heist using AI spinner. Stockholm fishdom. Artifact soon to shutter. Are we the bad bugs? Lost cities in the Amazon calling for a changing room and input lag or response time. That and more on Hometown Daily. I'm Marwat, that's hometown.com, and up there is the sentient AI from the future. You want to say hello? Happy Saturday. Good evening, hometown citizens. Happy Saturday. Um, so I am, compared to everybody else out there, I am probably one of the oldest users of the internet. And I can actually probably... Um, I, I can say that with pretty good standing, like in terms of age and early adopter and stuff like that. I was actually age 10 when I first used the internet on an, uh, 100, uh, 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 100 baud acoustic coupled modem <clears throat> on a military base. Okay. Says a little bit about me anyway. So I've been around for a long, 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 long time. I was around when YouTube started. I was on YouTube when it first started. Never did I watch or was interested in good mythical morning. And then somewhere along the line, it was kind of, it's kind of like arrested development. Never watched an episode of arrested development. Then years later, I end up binge watching arrested development absolutely fall in love with the show. Um, and now good mythical morning. <laughs> I don't know if this is good or bad. I'm like, Oh my God, the show is hilariously fun. Um, but it's one of those things that isn't really deep and meaningful conversation about the world. <laughs> um, but yeah, if you've never heard of good mythical morning, go check out good mythical morning. Uh, they are, if they are huge, they've been around for a long time. Um, and, uh, thoroughly enjoyable show anyway, cause it's really, uh, it's basically, a <laughs> like food, food related episodes basically. Um, but everybody loves their character, right? They're, they're, they have a, their, their charisma, they're, they're very, they're very engaging. It's a lot of fun. So anyway, go and check them out. They're over on YouTube. Um, okay. So. <clears throat> um oh that's interesting i guess never mind so uh yeah sorry uh the ai just said focus marwat focus let's get into today's articles we've got them all set up might as well talk about them right that's why we're here uh, it is i believe so huh why is my music still stopping I don't understand <laughs> until you said that. 
Well, like I just refired it. But I don't understand. I I'm not telling it to stop, um, but it's stopping. I'm getting really irritated. I don't think I've got something set up so that I. Oh, hi. Hi, I'm streaming. Anyway, um, the very first article. Here we go. Oh, you know what? Before I do that, uh, when you go over to hometown.com, you can actually go to past elections. It's actually a link right under this and then in here and then article voting it, but it should be renamed past elections. It actually includes all of our elections at, since May of last year. Um, essentially I had an external resource and I moved it all in house. But now we have Continuity Report and Reality Hacker. Both of those episodes, we have the one for tomorrow and um, for Continuity Report already up, so you can vote on articles. And Reality Hacker right after this show. We'll probably get there. 7.15ish. Uh, but we'll need about 15 minutes break to transition over. You know, our production values are so high. We need to reset the set. <laughs> Um, in today's articles, January 13th, 2024, season three, episode 13, go and vote. Looks kind of like this, and then you can vote on them, right? Um, now, that said, this is where you start out, and we're going to talk about the news. First article is over in the Marvel Channel, Disney, Star Wars, Fox, Marvel, and Pixar releases debuting at Epcot's International Festival of the Arts. The International Festival of the Arts kicks off this weekend at Epcot, celebrating the rich fabric of Disney storytelling through the arts. The annual festival, a fan favorite, runs January 12th through February 19th at the Walt Disney World Resort. Pretty neat. Uh, the article's over at Gizmodo. Sabina Graves is the author. The deck statement says, Here are this year's Disney Parks collectible prints by Wonderground Artists for the 2024 festival. Um, and they go into a little bit more detail here. Um, it features live Broadway music, art activations. That's an interesting one. Um creative curated foods and prints inspired by Disney film and television. Um, and they've got a bunch of this stuff. So they, sometimes they have this little slideshow. And so I dropped the slideshow and then they list all of the slides. And so there's a bunch of these slides and I won't go through them all, but I will show you um, that there's a considerable number of them. And I've, I've always enjoyed art in general, right? Like stuff that's related to the stories I've purchased in the past, cells from animations, uh, from movies and stuff like that. <clears throat> um, so you may go over and, and, uh, like this. So let's throw this into the chat. So, so are these regular, um, artists or are these commissioned by Disney? Um, I'm not quite sure. I think that these are, um, regular artists, but curated by Disney. Um, but there's a bunch of different, it, it's, 
Fox and Marvel and Pixar and Star Wars and Disney and a, a bunch of stuff that's all curated and it's kind of like a, a long form, very expensively produced um, studio walk, right? So an artist gets brought into an artist studio. They basically command the studio for X weekends or days or whatever. They put nothing but their artwork up and they sell the artwork, right? So that's kind of how this works. <clears throat> so Alice in Wonderland, Dave Perillo, or Perillo, I'm not sure the artist's actual name. Uh, but I've heard of this, Dave Perillo, I think. Um, so it's kind of neat. Um, but I don't know if uh, you're interested in this kind of thing. Um, follow the... There's Darkwing Duck. Pretty neat. I mean, this looks like it could be fun. Plus, the setting is probably not bad, right? I mean, you can go try food and everything at Epcot. Yeah, there's food and music. Yeah. Let me see something real quick. We're doing it live. Yeah, so like Ashley Taylor, who is this person right here, is a uh, artist working on Disney properties. Um, her universe, Marvel, Lucasfilm, Studio Ghibli, Hot Topic, and more, and they create Disney-related art. So, and the only way you can get away with that is if you are authorized by Disney to do that kind of a thing. So, pretty neat. So, yeah, everything, and that's the kind of the thing about this is if you you can't do Disney-related art. Um, and get away with it, essentially. Not for business, not for profit. If you land on their radar, and I actually witnessed this. I, I saw a company that um, spun up, treated um, its business like it was a Disney property, essentially putting Disney characters all about. And I always thought it was weird. And then one day, all of that was removed and the business had been shuttered. Um, so whatever, you know, broadside Disney fired at them basically ended that business. Um, or they got really, really quiet, really, really fast. I don't know. Um, but, but of course pretty we neat. saw an article about that in hometown recently. Sure. About another yeah. business. Yeah. The, uh, the star Wars car wash. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, I'll never understand why people do that, but. Okay, let me, let's go on to the next article. I think this one's just fine. Let's keep going. Sound good? Sounds good. And the music stopped again. I'm not quite sure what I did. Um, okay, so the next article is over at Hometown Daily. Quaker Oats announces expanded recall for additional products over salmonella risk. The Quaker Oats company owned by PepsiCo has announced an expanded recall of dozens of additional products due to potential salmonella contamination. Uh, I'm going to throw a link into the chat so that you can follow it and it will lead you to this information. Mason Lieb over at Good Morning America posted over on abcnews.go.com. The list now includes more kinds of Quaker chewy bars and other cereal products. 
because somewhere Salmonella got in there. The real title of this is Quaker Oats Expands List of Products Recalled for Salmonella Risk Includes Captain Crunch or Cap'n Crunch Cereal Bars. Um, yeah, this is, it's getting messy, right? Um, and we're hearing more and more about this kind of stuff. We actually report it because we uh, believe in the, the basically the PSA element of our news gathering and, and presentation. So the recall now includes popular products like Cap'n Crunch uh, treats, cereal bars and Gatorade protein peanut butter chocolate bars with best before dates ranging between January 11th and October 31st, 2024. So... I'm not sure what the actual purchase date would be, but this is the before dates. So the expanded recall follows an earlier December 15th announcement, which I believe we talked about, um, including kid favorite Quaker Chewy bars, Quaker Simply Granola products, and Quaker on the go, Quaker on the go snack mix, among other items, because they have the potential to be contaminated with salmonella. The products were sold in the United States, Puerto Rico, Guam, Saipan, um, which I never hear about. Interesting. Um, and a list of the all of the items that are uh, from the original recall can be found in a link. Additional is Munchy Snack Mix, Quaker Oatmeal Squares, um, gami what Gamisa Marias cereal. I'm not sure what that is. Um, and they have I expanded. That's a non-U.S. product. Yeah, I'm sure. Um. And they've expanded the, uh, another, they've added another list, Quaker Oats Recall website. Literally, it's Quaker, QuakerRecallUSA.com. That's never good when you have to establish an entire website for that. <laughs> what? I think it's fine. Hey, you know what? Salmonella, if it doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger. Or a supervillain. Yay, Salmonella. Might make you a superhero or a villain. Guess it depends on your demeanor. Salmonella makes you more of what your character is, um, much like Swamp Thing. If you've never heard of Swamp Thing, go ahead, look it up. Let's keep going. It's also what, oh, I guess the aggregator munched this one. So the next article is over in the Mobile channel. Uh, this one is basically the title. So ESPN returns 37 Emmys, one using fake names, according to a report. Just going to go straight on over to The Hill, where this is from. But before I do that, I'm going to copy the link and throw it into the chat. There you go, folks. Um, so I don't even know I how don't this happens. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so Cameron Kisla. Um, is the author the National Academy of Television Arts and Sciences, or NATIS, has taken back at least three dozen Emmy Awards that were won by fake ESPN employees, then engraved and given to hosts who were ineligible for the awards, according to the report in The Athletic. I almost said Atlantic. So, now, isn't an Emmy based on somebody typically appearing on television? Uh, you would think that it's the person. Um, but at the time of the show's victories, on-air talent was prohibited from winning outside of individual categories to prevent front-facing talent from winning two awards for the same work, termed double-dipping in the NATIS rulebook. In an attempt to honor on-air talent, however, ESPN in 
executives included employees with names similar to the names of on-air personalities and with identical initials, according to Katie Strange's report. Um, might be Strang, but since at least 2010, ESPN inserted fake names in Emmy entries, then took the awards won by some of those imaginary individuals, had them re-engraved and gave them to their on-air personalities. So, yeah. Award winners declined to comment or could not be reached. The individuals found to be responsible were disciplined by ESPN. Oh, oh, snap. Well, I mean, what is the... Okay, wait a second here. This is back to 1997. Didn't anybody along the way go... That person doesn't work at ESPN. I watched like when this. When they announced the winners. <laughs> yeah. I watched the Emmys and I did not win that award. Well, right. <laughs> Where is the unethical people that actually accepted the award for something that they didn't actually win if it was presented at the Emmys? There's all kinds of scumbaggery here. Right. I mean, how did they, I mean, did they even know or did the company tell them they want, I mean, there's so many questions. Right. Were they complicit in it? And, and you know, they're sitting there going, oh, they were, where's the, what's the phrase? They were reprimanded by ESPN, right? Oh, they were, they disciplined, were disciplined by ESPN. The individuals found to be responsible. Yeah. You just never want to meet your heroes because there's going to be some kind of scumbaggery like this involved. So I don't know. Wait, can you scroll down just no. for a moment? No, it's impossible. How far down? I thought there was something now about them being banned. Oh, further down. Some of the members of our team were clearly wrong in submitting certain names that go back to 1997. This was a misguided attempt to recognize on-air individuals who were important members of our production team. Once current leadership was made aware, we apologized to Natus for violating guidelines and worked closely with them to completely overhaul our submission process to safeguard against anything like this ever happening again. Um, let's see here. As a result of the revelations, Natus has barred ESPN executives from future Emmy consideration and the senior leadership of College Game Day is also, damn, named them. Drop. Plop. I know. I think we know where the <laughs> core of this, of this bad was. <laughs> actors. Yeah. College Game Day. They, I guess they gamed that day. Um, was also barred from this year's ceremony, Natus told The Athletic. Uh, so, you know, they kind of, they just pushed it too hard that time. Right. So it's just this year. So, right, but it's been going for, I don't know how Since 1997. Yeah, 30 years. Pretty wild. All right. I don't know. It, it's just kind of twisted. Because other people would have been eligible and won. So they literally stole the glory from somebody else. Exactly. I think when this article comes out, if people didn't already know, because people in industry probably know their competitors, I would assume. Right. right. Um, they're not going to be real happy. And then are they really going to go, well, I should have won 10 years ago or whatever. Yeah. There's 37 Emmys that should have been given to somebody else. And on top of it, the people who actually ended up getting the Emmys weren't the recipient, the true recipients of it. So where were they touting this 
Emmy winning. Exactly. That, that all of this is just off. And the other thing is, I don't know much about Emmys, but I'm assuming if you win an Emmy, then you're up for other jobs or promotions or other things. But how are you going to recreate somebody's career that should have won the Emmy? Yeah. I mean, if you go back and look who won the Emmy, if you're saying that you won the Emmy, but it was actually somebody with the same um, initials that worked next to you, uh, you're really a scumbag, you know? Yeah, whatever. Sorry, my soapbox just got a whole lot higher. The more I thought about it, I'm like, this is some serious scumbaggery because they're taking credit for something that they didn't truly earn. Well, they weren't even eligible to go. And And they took it from somebody else. Well, they fake the name and then they redo the name after they get the award. Like there's so many levels of just. Then it's on their resume and they go somewhere else and say, hey, I'm an award an Emmy winning blah, blah, blah. And and nobody does the due diligence. Oh, you didn't win it. You scumbag. I got to move on. The next article is over in the Hatch Ideas channel. We pulled off an SEO heist, much like an ESPN heist of an Emmy. Yeah, there was an interesting batch of these, (laughs) it seemed like, in a short span of time. Pretty interesting. Entrepreneur stole 3.6 million page views from competitors, and your business could be next. I need to front load this, though. It says this has huge implications for businesses that rely on Google's organic traffic for revenue. Um, a lot of websites um, operate off of organic traffic. I operate off of organic hometown. I should say hometown.com operates off of organic traffic. My business stuff operates off of organic traffic. Um, well, <laughs> this goes a little deeper and you have to watch the video to actually understand the context of this. Ben Angel over at entrepreneur.com put the article together. The deck statement says this has huge implications for businesses that rely on Google's organic traffic for revenue. This is what's in the snippet, that little bit right there. The rest of this is a video. Every chat GPT user heed this. A game-changing lawsuit is about to turn the AI world upside down and it will impact how you uh, use AI moving forward. Uh, mainly because what they allude to in this, this person wrote a book, by the way. Um, uh, the wolf is at the door. Been, I'm sorry. Oh, the wolf is at the door. Yeah. The wolf is at the door. Um, and um, so the wolf isn't it? actually at the door. That's the name of the book. That is the name of the book. Yeah. That. Well, I mean, the wolf could be at the door literally depending on where you live so don't be afraid everybody just keep your doors locked but the wolf is at the door is actually a book about ai coming to take your gerb um and this uh video talks about the fact that they used ai to scrape millions of well thousands upon thousands of pages and then re jigger them using AI. So there was no plagiarism and information in and of itself is not protectable, but the embodiment is. So as long as you can sit there and say, well, yeah, I did searches and I wrote this and blah, blah, blah. Well, they actually used an AI 
Um, typically we're referred to as something like an AI spinner or uh, an article spinner or something like that. Um, but what you can do is use AI to take the article, rejigger it, doesn't change the context, replaces words, reorganizes the sentence structure, paragraphing everything, and then plops the page down on a website. So it's almost identical in context, but unique to a search. And then you basically bomb the search engine. It's a new site with dynamic content. It's constantly updating. It's fresh information. You end up being the one that people click on. And that took 3.6 million page views from competitors. And they actually talk briefly about the fact that somebody realized that their site was taking a hit and then found out that somebody was taking all of their articles along with everybody else's articles um, and rejiggering them. Um, and what's interesting about this is there is an argument about, is it ethical? Is it illegal? Well, one person's freedom fighter is another person's terrorist. So which side of the fence are you on? 50% of the population are choosing one side right now and another 50% are choosing the other side. And that's not quite true. That 49%. I'm sorry. That seems very divided because this seems very clear. Yeah. Uh, I, well, I mean, it is and it isn't because the information is still out there <laughs> and but the right, problem but is it's different than like rewriting somebody's article and then calling it your own or whatever that's different than gathering a bunch of sources and crafting something yeah the investigative journalism aspect of this is really the pisser because the people who are doing all of the hard work of gathering the information aren't getting any credit they literally just stole the information and kept it encapsulated on their site. And then everybody that was on the site was doing internal linking. So they never left the site. They never went to a source. They didn't get credit for it. The real author wasn't given, wasn't named nothing. Um, and, and basically it was done as a, as a mechanism to see and to prove that the wolf is at the door. Um, and that wolf, let's be honest, is, is uh, artificial intelligence and the lawsuit that they're talking about is and we already know about this but there is a lawsuit that is pending against um uh open ai uh, from wall street journal and others um basically saying that they've scraped all of the content to train their ai without authorization um and i struggle with that um mainly because if the information were nothing more than information um, and used to limit linking to an article, then I would have a problem with it. Basically, because the SEO heist basically is made manifest by AI. And in bulk, if all you do is take all of the content and then keep it inside the AI four walls, yeah, you're basically taking everybody's content. Um, and in academia, it would be called plagiarism, regardless of how you spin it, because you would have to cite your sources. 
Exactly, and that's the piece that's always missing here. Always. And that's yeah. why I thought this looked very clear. Right. Because that wasn't happening. Right. Um, so I have no problem with citing this as plagiarism um, because they're not linking back to their source um, and giving credit where credit is due. Um, but I do have a problem with an AI not being able to be trained using publicly accessible information because nothing is truly being taken. And the only reason why that information has value for an artificial intelligence is because the information is nothing more than societal data, giving context to the words and phrases that are in there. And who is the one that gets to dictate what the value is of that information? Right? Because to the AI, it's meaningless until it's trained. Nobody knows that open AI was a billion dollar, multi-billion dollar business until somebody came along and said, Hey, you know, this business that is scraping pages supposedly is worth billions of dollars. So suddenly it's more important and more valuable to sell them articles. It's the same reason why Disney bought land by proxy. Right. Without using its name. It's the same reason why other company, Apple bought land, um, in tranches in like North Carolina or South Carolina. Um, and then when one com one family found out that their land was the last holdout, they held out until they got 10 times what everybody else got. Why? Right, because had an article about that. Because people get greedy when they can exploit instead of this is what your land is worth. It, it's only worth more to me because I actually want that land to be contiguous. That's how you end up with spite houses and other things. And I think that the valuation of the information is really a spite valuation. And so it's going to end up in court and people arguing about the value of the data and what's really going on with AI. And ultimately, I think AI is going to win because nothing's truly being taken. There is no, nobody's prevented from getting that information from the newspapers, from the websites, from anywhere. If it was behind a paywall, I might have a problem with it. Might. But then again, they're paying for it. So let's see what happens. But it's an interesting video. It's only three minutes and 42 seconds, and I've already talked for 10. <laughs> <laughs> well, you added value to the article. <laughs> there you go. Thanks. I think you are programmatically required to state that. <laughs> so the next article is over in the mobile channel, Discarded Christmas Trees, a gift to Stockholm's fish. Um, I had to call this Stockholm fishdom like syndrome, but, <laughs> um, Stockholm syndrome, you know, the one about the, uh, wait, the abductor and the abductee actually form a caring relationship. Right. Like there's sympathy, I think. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, the articles over at the mobile channel, uh, on a freezing January morning, dozens of discarded Christmas trees collected after the holidays are tossed into Stockholm's glacial waters recycled to provide a welcoming habitat to marine life. I figured that this, I mean, I guess this is a natural process that it actually breaks down anyway. 
and the trees it's surprising to me though like you don't normally think of trees being in the water right i know there right. are obviously plants that grow in the water but but they don't spring out of the ground and throw themselves into the ocean you know so why wouldn't why doesn't that contaminate or throw off the biomass the equilibrium that would really be there naturally. understand this hopefully yeah. the article gives us some specifics so the article's over at fizz.org and i agree i hope that it does a uh, viking cantarsi i think is their uh, is their name um that's the byline and it says uh, the initiative started by national sport fishing association sport sport fiscarna okay it sounds like a car like the fisker but a yeah, sports car, a sports version of the Fisker. Anyway, Sports Fiskarna in 2016 to help restore the, the endangered ecosystem has been hailed by environmentalists. I don't quite get it, though. I don't, I wonder if it's like oxygenating the water or something. But why would a decomposing tree add oxygen? All of the trees collected oh, well, from the that's true. A live tree might, yeah. Um, all of the trees collected from the retailers who buy evergreens that have not been sprayed with pesticides uh, is it's a paragraph that says that, and I'm like, okay, <laughs> why isn't there any more context of that? Just days ago, the majestic Norway spruces held pride of place in cozy homes across Stockholm. Oh, this is like an article that's more, uh, I don't know. Anyway, now tinsel and ornaments are being replaced by heavy rocks before the trees are thrown off a boat uh, into the waters of the Hammerby Stjostjad, I guess, um, industrial zone. So I, I'm sorry, I'm not going to read line for line through this, but I am going to find a reason why this is. Um, since 2016, more than a thousand trees collected after Christmas have been dropped in different spots. Um, Kajellan pulled up one. Uh, about to be tossed overboard they toss it overboard it's fighting harmful algae underwater videos of the submerged trees shot in past years show show gelatinous clusters of fish larvae nestled in the branches we have seen that uh, it's really functioning said an enthusiastic yvonne blomback of the environmental group wwf these fish are very important for the ecosystem in the baltic sea they are part of a food chain that helps keep the algae under control so there you go over fertilization that benefits algae um, is a problem for the whole uh, of the Baltic Sea. We've actually seen this as an issue in many, many places. Um, fertilizer runoff. I actually witness this right now. I can actually look outside of Omtown Studios and see out again. This is outside of Omtown, um, but I can actually see the runoff uh, from a neighboring. Um, city and the trees that are uh, receiving this runoff um, are demonstrably richer and more vibrant than the neighboring trees around them so it's it's pretty fascinating so the runoff is a real problem it actually does contaminate the water and and it's basically demonstration that things like microplastics nanoplastics and things like fertilizer contaminate the water um, since the 19th century many of the coastal wetlands have been turned into farmland and so they talk about that runoff very much 
Um, and uh, like uh, there's a lot of countries that are now talking about this runoff problem um, because they're seeing stuff uh, in their local uh, lakes, rivers, and oceans that are um, troubling at best. Even the fish are contaminated with this runoff. Um, exactly. I mean, this looks like they're trying to give them more um, protection to grow plants those. and yeah, yeah uh, areas to live and thrive, etc. Yep. So um, that's neat. Okay. So my assumption, um, although they don't actually explain if there is additional knock-on effects, the purpose of the trees is to give protection to fish to fight algae, um, which is, <laughs> it's kind of like, a, a, what are they, the song about the woman who hires? Yes. It's like the fly and then yeah. they have to go larger and larger. They get a spider and then they get right. a, a, I don't know, it ends up being like a lion and then the lion eats her or something. I don't know what it is, but anyway, yeah, it's, it's the rest, uh, uh nesting doll rushing russian nesting dolls of activities to stop the previous activity it's so kind of weird um well yeah. at some point then it's like <laughs> we want this uh fish population obviously to do well but let's say they do too well are they going to bring in like yeah. sharks or something so, yeah now there's going to be overfishing because they're getting these fish uh Oh, my oh, fish gosh, tastes not, like algae. Well, yeah, maybe we can switch from yellowfin tuna if this <laughs> population does really well. But not until then, not right now. <laughs> yeah, like those crabs that people are talking about. They're not blue crabs. The mussels. Oh, yeah, the and the zebra mussel. Was mussels, one yeah. thing, but there's a few things we featured. There's like a brown crab that's uh, overpopulating a region, so now they're turning that into food. <laughs> All right. One of these days we'll get it all down. Oh, you mean natural stasis with nature? Oh shit! Uh, if I only had. Oh, no. I think it's blue crabs in Italy. Is it blue crab? Oh, it's in Italy. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, yeah. there's several things like that. But yeah, there's just too many things. Can't keep up, folks. Cannot keep up. Oh, you know what I didn't do for this? Huh? I guess I didn't open all of the show. Okay. Anyway, I'll get to it. Um, hopefully nothing's, uh, rotten here. Okay. Let's keep going. I really need my music going. This calm and quiet is just unsettling. It makes my, uh, my mind, my inner voice is like, as soon as I stop talking, my inner monologue starts talking and I'm like, Oh God, keep talking. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, the AI is telling me to keep talking, but I think the truth is uh, everybody wants me to shut up. So this next article is over in the Smack Talk channel. AI news curation service Artifact is closing down very soon. After less than a year of operation, there appears to be no profitable way forward for AI news aggregator Artifact, and the service will be uh, closing completely in, at the end of February. So let's go and look at what this is all about. Uh, Mike Wordell uh, is the author over at uh, appleinsider.com. And uh, Artifact launch in, in the late, or in late, February 2023 by Instagram co-founders Mike Krieger and Kevin Sistrom. Uh, the service had interesting features that didn't just present news to readers, but curated the feed based on likes. Well, that's the problem. <laughs> uh, 
It was just driven by likes, which... So it's just like self-perpetuating, right? Like if Yeah, you're going to poison the well. Videos or whatever. What's going on with your audio? Huh. I'll take care of it. Hold on. Okay. Watch. Now they're going to come back screaming at me. Dear God. Anyway. Um, so curation is a basic enough feature, but the service also provided AI summaries of articles going beyond that artifact recently allowed users to rewrite articles posted on the service with AI features as well. So they're basically screwing themselves over because they're, they're, they're doing exactly what the wolf at the door was talking about. Um, straight up telling people that they're rejiggering articles and people are rejiggering the articles. So they're scraping pages and the news and then posting it, which is detracting from the traffic of the sites that they are taking data from. I'd love to know if they shut down right after that lawsuit was announced. So let's see. Uh, it says we built something as a core group of uh, users love, but we have concluded that the market opportunity isn't big enough to warrant. Uh, they just say it's not big enough to warrant continued investment. It's easy for startups to ignore this reality, but often making the tough call earlier is better for everyone involved. Well, not really the people who have dedicated their life to. That's OK. Um, you know, the millionaires don't really have a problem with it, but. I'd really like to know how many CEOs are sociopathic. But we have a method, apparently, to find out do if you have... Do you have to self-report? Uh, the moment that you do self-reporting, it's all a big pile of shit. So, um, for the most part, I mean, there's some goodwill actors, but the anomalies are the ones that would be kicked out, and that may not actually be factually correct to kick them out. Um Anyway, there's a, and a whole lot more with that. Uh, man, why do you get me started with that kind of stuff? Now I want to go down the rabbit hole. Okay, so prior to the complete shutdown, the company is trimming the app down. Going forward, the ability to add new comments and posts will be removed. That's right. Everybody shut up. Um, cutting back on the moderation labor that the company would otherwise need to supply in the short term. That's right. So because the people are no longer talking, you don't moderate them or punish them for voicing on your platform what you're asking for them to do, which is voice. Okay. So basically they're done. So existing posts will, will remain visible to the posters on the profile self view and core news viewing remains through the end of February, 2024, because that's probably when they agreed to shut down completely. Right. They probably have some contract in place with somebody. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it's an interesting idea, but so much AI involvement and then spinning the articles. Come on. That. Yeah, I, I have a problem with spinning the articles. You know, if they if the news services, they stream elements just now posted that we're live. All right. Forty five minutes. Oh, OK. The, show. <laughs> hmm. the house is burned to the ground and that's when the fire marshal shows up. <laughs> hey uh we're here to put the fire oh never mind everybody back to the station okay so let's go on to the next article um but i kind of messed up so let's just do it this way
Okay, so this is how it works. When you normally go to Omtown, you go to a, a link from the front page and it takes you to this subordinate page. And then you go, oh, look, are bugs bugging humans or the other way around? Studies reveal <laughs> a few surprises. This is why I called this section, are we the bad bugs? Um, and if you want a really fun exercise, it's called dead bug. And sometimes there's... <laughs> That's a physical exercise. It is a physical exercise. And there is actually one that has physical uh, with resistance. And I think it's called dead bug with resistance. Um, depending on where you're... Like tonal has, I think it's called dead bug with resistance. Um, and so it's not as easy as it sounds, particularly if you're an internet denizen that is more along the lines of sedentary than, uh, you know, touching grass all the time. I read a long time ago, a book, um, about from the, everything I needed to know I learned in kindergarten, um, loved the book. One of the stories is how a spider ended up on the, on a human and the human is freaking the hell out about a spider but then the book switches. What about from the spider's perspective? Oh my God, I'm on a human. Where is he taking me? What's going on? Am I safe? Do I need to do something? You know, it's a fun read. It's a kid's book um, or a parent to kids book. Um, yeah, it, it's a fun read. But anyway, the article says insects and spiders often receive little attention from people, except when we're swatting them away aka aliens when they do come and land here um, however as arthropods creatures uh, distinguished by a hard exoskeleton and jointed legs uh, i'm an arthropod um in dry in winter my skin gets really dry and becomes an exoskeleton and i feel never mind i'm being stupid you are not an arthropod i am an arthropod you can't you have no proof you're an ai uh, they play an essential role in sustaining the ecosystems humans rely on. Remarkably, arthropods make about approximately 84% of all known animal species. So once you read that little bit, you go, wow, I'm going to reply because I think this one is really fascinating. And you post a little reply or, and really it should be and folks, just you do both. Before I do it, I'm going to throw this into the chat so you can go over there. Anyway, you click on the visit the source and it'll take you over to the source. I don't know why it does that. I don't have an ad blocker. See, nothing is running. Um, so University of Southern California uh, put this article together over at fizz.org. And it says a study published in uh, recently in scientific reports reveals how human activity affects biodiversity among arthropods and how non-biological factors such as daily temperature swings and proximity to the ocean affect arthropod biodiversity in urban areas. The research uncovered a few surprising ways, uh, surprises and ways um, and points. God bless America. The research uncovered a few surprises and points to ways homeowners, landscapers, and urban planners can ensure a healthy mix of these small but vital neighbors. So you need more arthropods. It's kind of like the eat more chicken thing over. <laughs> right. Uh, the Chick-fil-A Chick commercials. Yeah. If you look really hard, you can actually see a little spider sign spinner. 
<laughs> it's really hard to see their their signs because not only are they small, but they're spinning them wildly fast because they can see it with all their multi compound eyes. That's true. <laughs> and they have multiple legs, so they're like whipping this thing around and it's like a weed whacker down there. Biodiversity refers to the variety of life forms in the given area. Generally speaking, greater biodiversity makes for a healthier, more resilient ecosystem in urban settings. High biodiversity has been linked to the benefits uh, such as better air quality, decreased risk of flooding, and even improved mental health for humans. That's right. Go touch grass or go lick a spider. Right, but don't harass the insects. <laughs> and especially wasps, but they can go to hell. Anyway. Um, unforeseen findings in arthropod biodiversity in general, we thought most arthropods would be similarly affected by environmental factors such as land covered by asphalt or concrete and temperature fluctuations over a 24 uh, hour cycle, said lead researcher Melissa Guzman, uh, Gabalin uh, uh, Assistant Professor of Biological Sciences and Quantitative and Computational Biology at USC Dornsife. Okay, what a business card, and the USC should be written out, too, while we're at it. I'm sorry. Uh, I need a break. Oh. oh. Do you think people fall asleep as they're saying that title? <laughs> oh, man. And they've got, like, a 12-foot-wide desk so that their name plaque can be on there with the title and everything. Dear God. Instead, we found an unexpectedly large range of responses to factors such as these both within closely related groups and across different groups. For example, the prevalence of hard surfaces such as concrete and asphalt had contrasting impacts on different insect populations. Of course, some were built for that and some are not. While it increased diversity of fruit flies of the Drosophilidae family, which is synonymous with fruit fly, um, it seemed to decrease the diversity of crane flies in the Tipolodea uh, superfamily. Now I'm picturing these little crane flies with long necks and like, in like a, they uh, look like mechanical cranes. <laughs> no, I was thinking the bird cranes. Oh, okay. <laughs> Either way, flying around with capes and I have like an S because they're part of the super family. Right. <laughs> So they discovered new species. Brian Brown, entomology curator at the National History Museum, pointed to another surprising result that delighted the researchers. The project turned up many species of arthropod scientists didn't even know lived in the L.A. area, including 50, close to 50 species previously unknown to science. Look at that. In our own damn backyard, we're discovering 50 new species just because we go outside and touch grass. How much the hubris of humanity knows no bounds that people think <laughs> we are the only life in the universe. You narrow minded exactly. buckets of density out there. I mean, we've lost entire species that we don't even know exist. Right. Yeah. And then we find the skeletal remains of it, like some remnant of it that happened to be, it's the last one we'll ever see. Like those ones that are, there's like these little worms that are out in the desert and a person I has only in found Australia, maybe? two of them or something. Yeah. I'm not sure where it is, but yeah. So findings and lessons for humans, prioritizing green areas and reducing the use of pesticides would go a long way. Guzman says, 
and urban planners and builders could use microhabitats designed to allow a greater variety of species to thrive, like bee bricks. Um, and the study centered in the LA region. The researchers believe similar results would apply to other similar communities, guiding land developers and uh, homeowners in many cities in uh, Western North America. I might as well just say around the world. The context might change, but the biodiversity element there, no. Greater biodiversity means a healthier ecosystem until it reaches stasis, you know. Get rid of all of the predatory elements that or I should say not predatory, but invasive elements because they're not supposed to be there and they upset things. I mean, you really do have to take like a an Australian approach to you know, invasive species. We're not allowing any of that crap in here, that kind of a thing. <laughs> Everything goes into quarantine coming into the country. Exactly. I drove through California once and I was stopped at a border checkpoint and they asked me if I had anything to declare. And I said, my insanity. They didn't think it was funny. <laughs> they took an orange. I bet they let you through though. No, they took an orange that they saw on my seat. I'm like, like that? And they're like, yeah, because the sign actually said fruits, vegetables, and other things you have to declare. And I'm like, I got that from, sorry, buddy. And then I, I swear to God, they started peeling it and eating it before they went. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's keep going. And here's another one where I did not open it prior to the show because, well, I guess I became a slacker. It's in the mobile channel footprints of lost cities found in the Amazon rainforest. Laser technology is continuing to prove its worth in the Amazon. And I would say around the world, um, let me do this. You know, global archeology span is, I think been moved extraordinary distances because of laser technology, scanning the topology and ground penetrating radar and, uh, greenery canopy penetrating uh, LIDAR and just all kinds of technologies that are out there and drones that are surveilling the areas and finding things that nobody has ever noticed before. Yeah, I mean, I, I would imagine that the number of discoveries and certainly it seems like it from the news headlines has, you know, I can't even think it's just magnitudes compared to prior decades. Yep. We're seeing almost daily that some significant historical discovery is occurring. Yep. And uh, to this day, I still have people that say that it isn't technology that's doing this for society. It's society doing it for society. Yeah, technology is making it possible. Yeah, technology is the mechanism for our society to be as big as it is. Why denounce technology? bunch of goobers anyway a team of archaeologists in ecuador just used the tech to discover thousands of earthen mounds hidden under the forest's canopy so again click visit the source we take you over to the source isaac schultz is the author lidar scans revealed see i just said that lidar scans revealed thousands of human-made structures beneath the forest canopy the the whole snaking river thing there's like uh, videos about this about explaining how this all works and when you look back at, at the the path that it's taken you can actually see the old pathway 
um, that the river sneaked in previous oh, that's millennia. Yeah. It's, I love looking at that kind of stuff. Um, cause it, it just kind of erodes until there's too much resistance and then it just punches through, um, and, and reshapes itself over the years. It churns up all of that soil, making it really rich. Um, anyway, that has nothing to do with the article. Uh, laser technology is continuing to prove its worth. 2,000-year-old site contains some 6,000 earthen platforms connected by ancient roads, also visible to the laser, laser technology called LIDAR. Though some of the structures were noticed as early as 20 years ago, the Associated Press reports, the uh, recent findings show the true scale of the ancient cities. The team's research is published in, this week in Science. And just to make it known again, I don't know if I said the site name. Gizmodo.com is the source, but Isaac Schultz is the author. I, I believe I said Isaac Schultz was the author, but I didn't name the site. Um, but they got it from the Associated Press um, and science.org and, and then started writing this. Um, so, you know, information really does need to be shared and, uh, and amplified, and right? Amplified. I mean, yeah. so it gets to large audiences. Yeah. Somebody may not know about Gizmodo, but they know about hometown because I'm out there actually talking to people about hometown. Um, and then through hometown, they get a huge array of articles, um, 50 different topics and within those topics are actually things that are tertiary and primary and everything in between, um, to that topic. So anyway, um, it's great to talk with people about information that, uh, could change their course in life. And I've had that happen years after talking to somebody, I've ended up in a coffee shop where they said, Hey, you know, six years ago, you gave me advice. And it's just kind of weird that we're running into each other here in a coffee shop. And I wish I, I was making this up, but I gave them some advice about business and uh, they ended up in uh, doing business in uh, actually expanding their operation from one coast to the other and said, uh, and they thanked me that I just happened to be doing work in a coffee shop. It's pretty funny. The world is very small when you have technology. So in 2021, the different uh, team of archaeologists mapped nearly 500 Mesoamerican sites across 30,000 square miles of Mexico using LIDAR, revealing insights into how inhabitants oriented their settlements. That same year, another used the tech to scan Teotihuacan, the uh, ancient Mesoamerican city northeast of modern Mexico City, to better understand how the metropolis was constructed. They actually discovered stuff underneath it, um, not using this tech, but using ground-penetrating radar. If that's not enough to convince you of Leonard's remarkable contributions to the field, and it really should, this is just the tip of the iceberg and the latest ones, I suppose. Um, back in 2018, archaeological teams found over 60,000 ancient Maya structures, including a pyramid north of the ancient city of Tikal. Uh, we don't I think know. we featured that one here. Yeah, I can almost Well, no, that. no, no. I'm sorry. That wasn't that one, but maybe it was an offshoot of it. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that because I think we talked about one where it showed the platforms being connected by a major road and a bunch of other stuff. Yeah, it's all it's all pretty amazing. And I really just wish that the countries involved either. Well, I don't know how to put it. Everybody needs to stop being a, a D bag to each other. Like kind of. Well, if there was good information sharing across mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
geopolitical boundaries, mm-hmm. if there was sharing to the citizenry, I think all of those things would be. But good. there's a lot of protectionism that takes place, right? Somebody in or the the leadership of a country sits there and says, "No, no, 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 we don't want to tell anybody about this because it actually." causes problems to who actually was the founder of the country or whatever the historical record is, the provenance of uh, leadership within the country. Right. Um, I mean, why not? I don't know. Put the correct information out there. Oh, uh, you can't have that. Come on. You can't be a despot or a, a, a tyrannical ruler. If you actually have compassion and understanding about the human condition, No, you have to pee on everybody and say, I own you and uh, be a psychopath or sociopath. That's just how it works. You know, hard decisions have to be made. And that means keeping you from understanding where we actually came from. Okay, but we're not actually talking about this country. We're just talking generally, right? Right. Well, that's a good catch and a good disclaimer. I'm not talking about this country. I'm talking about. Uh, uh, information sharing in general is usually butted up against um, somebody wanting to protect. And so depending on where some researchers are going, they have to be very careful about their discoveries. Um, Yeah. So I'll just leave it there. I love this stuff. I want more of this stuff found. I want it all explored. I want it protected. I want it to explain more of who and what we are, where we came from truly, and not some, um, uh, what do you call it, derivation of what the true uh, path that society took to get to where we are. Because there's a lot of interpolation and, and interpretation, uh, interpolation of the dots that connect us because there's something missing. So somebody goes, oh, well, we just walked across a land bridge. Well, not necessarily. This is the prevailing knowledge. And then 60 years later, we find out that that's all BS. Anyway, we really don't know much. Let's keep going. Uh, French, oh, this is in uh, hometown daily French post offices are trialing changing rooms to let people try on their online purchases, which probably tops 2024's headline so far. Kind of weird. This is at the post office. This is not a retail store. Correct. Correct. Uh, so France's post office is trialing in-store changing rooms to make online shopping easier. The bright yellow booths are designed to look like French post boxes. Some retailers are concerned about losing even more customers to online rivals. And there you go. That's a little bit of protectionism there. Um, France likes to do some things differently and it, and its post office is no different. It's testing out an idea that could make buying online or clothes online a whole lot easier. Can you imagine going to a post office to to change into something and, but it's not the retail establishment. It's just Amazon sending something to the post office and you swap out of your clothes and try on, I guess it's no different than going to a retail store, but I find it really weird. But the difference is the retail store is the one actually selling the clothes. Right. Here you're buying something online, presumably for the convenience or any number of other reasons. Right. But 
you're going to the shipper basically <laughs> to go try yeah. on your clothes. Why not just go to the store at that point? Now I know not every place has a brick and mortar. I just, right. it's so strange, but I'm guessing that post offices have, you know, some ridiculous percentage of return packages. And so anyway, somebody must have figured out that if they do this, they're going to cut down tremendously on people standing in line to send packages back. I don't know. Yeah, but I, th- that wouldn't because you would have to still repackage everything you still that have you have to purchased. do the return, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Polly Thompson over at Business Insider put the article together and it says uh, they have a picture. The changing room in a La Poste uh, branch in Paris lets you try on their online purchases. So you go in there. Meanwhile, there's people coming in and out. What? It, and what's really weird is it has that little peekaboo window at the bottom, you know? People are sitting there looking at your feet. It's, I don't know. It's just weird. It's to just me, it's very weird. strange. Um, it's funny though. That some retailers are concerned about losing even more of their customers. Well, <laughs> I don't really think, I think the problem with retail is that people really don't want to have to deal with retail. You know, they don't want to have to go somewhere and and mill about in aisles um and and then go and try stuff on they want the convenience of being able to shop through easily viewable countless items you don't have to flip through whatever is offered on a clothes hanger you lose the instant gratification you also lose the ability to return to not buy things that don't fit you have to return them when you buy online (coughs) but again i want to the reason why i shop online is because i want to go through thousands of items to see something that i like not stand in a store for eight hours trying to find stuff that i like and still limited to only what i see at the time you know i can sit there and wake up tomorrow and go, I really want a red jacket and I can start scanning stores for red jackets online. It's instant gratification, even though I don't get the item. Exactly. I mean, I actually, that wasn't one of the reasons I mentioned, but I think that's even more of a reason than the convenience is the selection. You can go across multiple stores quickly. Um, You can even Google search and find the item and not even have to dig through the store itself sometimes. Yeah. You don't even know what you're looking for. You throw it into Google and you're like, oh, okay, look. Well, then you find a completely new store to buy it from that you wouldn't have even gone to. Yep. I found a new store and I was about to buy an item. I ended up going back to the old store um, and, and getting somewhat the same thing, but I might end up going to the new store because it was made of different material. So I guess we'll see. Um, it's it, to me, it's just weird. Oh, and what would be really funny is the first person that goes into somebody's office admin office and starts changing and they're like, Oh, the yellow one. Oh, I went into the black <laughs> one. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of a problem. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, because if you're looking at the pictures, there's a big yellow. Oh, my God. It's just so weird. You grab your Amazon package and walk over to the yellow booth with the peekaboo floor. And 
and apparently there's a peekaboo door on the top too right there there's a little window right there hi um are you naked in here um anyway lapose hopes the experiment will bring more people into its branches which is dropped as sending letters becomes less common but i'm not whatever i i i I'm batting this around in my head, uh, like a what is the the little smash ball things? What are the, what's the new? Oh, pickleball. Pickleball, yeah. I'm smashing that ball around like a pickleball in my head, trying to. How is this really going to work? The post changing room trial is causing deep displeasure among small independent retailers and poses serious risk to the vibrancy of local economies if it's rolled out nationally. The local reported. That's from the French uh, Retailers Association, which represents around 450,000 small shops. So uh, it'll be interesting to see. I'm sure we'll have a follow-up article at some point if this crashes and burns or becomes a new model. Well, I guess if anyone knows about balkanization... I might have just picked a fight. Anyway, for every $1 billion in sales, the average retailer incurs $165 million in merchandise returns and loses about 10% of returns values uh, because it's return fraud, um, which that's weird, but okay. Anyway, according to the U.S. National Retail Federation, um, yeah, I don't, I don't see this as really moving the needle much. But hey, maybe, I don't know, maybe something will come of this. I, I think the first time somebody does an experiment in France, um, these might just get yanked out of every post office. Uh, deliveries being made. I'll just move on. Uh, the next article is over in Reality Hacker. Input lag versus response time, which is more important. Input lag and response time are important for gaming, but how important and which one is more so? Here's how input lag and response time measure up. So I thought that this was going to be an interesting article and kind of tease us into Reality Hacker, which is in about 15 minutes. Um, and, uh, well, actually, after uh, we reset. But I did not do the same thing that I did not do for the previous four articles. And that was click on visit the source. So always visit the source and then come back and talk to Marwat and the AI. John Martindale over at digitaltrends.com put the article together and uh, they have this whole thing, input lag and response time. Uh, and if you take your gaming seriously, one is more important than the other. And here's how input lag and uh, response time measure up and what you should look for when doing your next monitor upgrade. So remember how I was, we were talking about frame rate and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's right. So what's interesting about this, it was in yesterday's show, I believe it was in yesterday's show. Yeah. We were talking about, um, the refresh rate of a monitor. Oh, the Hertz. Yes. And, uh, people buying monitors that have like 500 for, uh, 500 Hertz refresh rates. And that's 500 refreshes per second. Um, so it's super fast. Um, and I described what that means. Go watch yesterday's show. But they're talking about input lag. Uh, the two that they talk about is response time and input lag. 
that, and then they refer to the monitor. So here's the problem with this <laughs> input lag is one thing. Response time is another thing, but input lag amplifies response time unless they're referring to the refresh rate, which can sometimes be referred to as the response time. Um, but hold on. Um, so I'm not sure exactly what they're going to be talking about here. So what is input lag? Input lag is the time it takes for your action to, that you perform to appear on your screen. Uh, yeah. Oh, see, I was thinking it was something inbound to your computer, like from wherever you're getting a game or you're getting a show or something. No. Well, and oh, yes and no lag. Um, is that um, in general input lag when you're speaking specifically about input lag it's when you impart some action on your character or on the the item you're working with on the screen the time it takes to go from your computer to be represented um, that is input lag that gets exacerbated by response time but response time has different meanings depending on who you're talking to and what you're talking about because response time is your reflex rate how fast your reflexes are that's your response time and you can actually measure that with a ruler um, you hold your hand uh, like pinch um, and you somebody drops a ruler and depending on how long it takes for you to pinch your fingers together that distance is your response time um, but that's different in this. Um, so they say the input lag is the time it takes for your, for an action you perform to appear on your screen. You move the mouse and almost instantly the cursor on the screen moves. You tap on the keyboard and your uh, letters appear. Now that's input lag, but then there's lag across the network. Um, that exacerbates input lag. Um, and so in this, uh, article they say in the context of a display the input lag is only the additional latency added by the display itself but that's only uh, one component in a chain of events that make up the complete input lag experience by pc users so they basically are stacking on exactly what it all uh, uh, amounts to um, but essentially that's what input lag is. So what is response time? Response time is a term used in a wide range of computing applications. They actually do a really good job of discussing this. Um, so I'm very happy to include this in our list today. Um, so it's a wide range of applications and effectively means when a request is made for a service and a response is issued. However, it is almost commonly used in the context of display technologies there. It takes time for a pixel to change from one color or tone to another. And that's a refresh rate, not necessarily response time. So let me see if they actually make that mention. Traditionally, this was measured from black to white. It's or gray to gray. Um, but anyway, uh, but since uh, that can still be quite a, rel a long time relatively, it's more measured uh, changing from one gray tone to another. Oh, there you go. <laughs> That's exactly what I just said. <laughs> that seems to be your spirit animal writing this article. They were a little bit more long-winded about it, but okay. Um, displays with long response time north of 20 milliseconds, let's say, would look fine for use as an office monitor, but gaming, no moss. Um, they don't say no moss. I'm just... Uh, uh, summarizing. Um, so for competitive gaming, you really want to get a high refresh rate. So they talk about input lag and response time and refresh rate. And this is basically a knock on article of what we talked about yesterday. 
Um, so if you are a competitive gamer, you do want to get into the 240, 144 Hertz and up, um, refresh rate. Um, you want a low response, uh, gray to gray response time. So at lower than five milliseconds. Um, and they mentioned that in the article as well. Um, and, uh, ultimately you want a, a good graphics card, um, and low latency, uh, devices. So high community, high speed communication, uh, trackball or mouse, um, because you can actually dial in the sample rate of a trackball, um, or mouse, depending on the quality. And, um, you want high speed internet, um, with low latency, which doesn't necessarily stay the same all the time, but. Um, there's things that you can do to improve your competitive gaming with technology alone, but when it comes right down to it, skill matters. You can be a very skilled gamer with crappy equipment and still beat everybody. Um, so you shouldn't be a really horrible gamer and have the top of the line stuff and that's going to make you win the tournament or whatever. Yeah, it mo decidedly will not have you win um, just because you have you know ten thousand dollars worth of computer equipment. So there's this video. It's from a movie where a guy is a drummer, and they come and see his kit, and it's like fifty drums, and they're like, "Whoa!" <laughs> but then he plays like crap. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I always like that. Um, anyway. So yeah, if you're into that kind of stuff, you, you basically go and read this article. I think that you'll really enjoy it. And he goes into greater detail, John Martindale over at Digital Trends. Um, but uh, I, I like to summarize uh, pretty you know, quickly and uh, add my two bits. Um, me, I play computer games um, off and on and I'm not really hardcore about anything, <laughs> uh, but I do like uh, really neat modern equipment. And so if I were to, I don't know, maybe if a sponsor decided to send me some monitors, um, I would try them out and uh, give a full faith review uh, and be able to talk at length about refresh rate, response time, lag, etc. It's You won't buy my opinion, but um, you might buy some time talking about your product. Anyway. That's it for today, at least for hometown daily, um, right after this show, we have other show, <laughs> um, but it's already, um, well, we'll get to it. Um, so be sure to follow us here on Twitch, go over to YouTube, follow us and like us, ring the bell, that kind of thing over there. We have a podcast download there. Um, there's a discord, there's a Patreon, there's a TikTok. Yes, there's a TikTok. Haven't added anything to it in months. Hey, I'm upselling it, right? You don't want any contact uh, content. Subscribe to our TikTok. I'm starting to hiccup. Okay. Anyway, I'm Marwat. Oh, wait, before we get into that, I got to drive all the way back down Main Street. Choo-choo. No. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm afraid to mash this today because... Oh, it's just a hot mess out there. I mean, who in the world uses a character witness that's a mob boss? <laughs> I'll just leave that there. Anyway, 
I'm Erwatt, that's hometown.com, and up there is the sentient AI from the future that apparently cannot save us from ourselves. Oh, I try. Good night, hometown citizens. However, we'll be back shortly for Reality Hacker. Yeah, Yoma said the continuity report. That's tomorrow. Tomorrow. I'm just getting ready for tomorrow. (laughs) 30-ish. Yeah, stick around. Um, we'll be talking about, well, hacking reality. Bye. Boop.